This is Bo Buchanan. I'm here with another edition of On the Level, and today I'm interviewing Right Worshipful Charles Hughes at the Mother Lodge of Scotland, and it's kind of an exciting time to be here. We've traveled here from uh, Arizona, a group of us, to visit the Mother Lodge, the oldest lodge in the world. Uh, so I'm just going to start out by asking if you can introduce yourself, give me your name, the name of your home lodge, and any offices or titles you have connected to that lodge. Well, I'm just Charles Hughes. I'm the Right Worshipful Master of the Mother Lodge of Scotland. Uh, we are a, a very slow, progressive lodge. It's taken 22 years to get to the chair. Wow! And therefore, um, we have a lot of offices, and therefore, um, you probably don't want to be uh, members of too many other lodges and organizations. It's a, it's a, long, uh, it's a long progression. For 22 uh, years. How long ago did you become a Mason? Um, 22 years ago, yes. Really? Yes. So you got in the line right away. You got out of the office as soon as you became a mason. I was very lucky. Um, the, one of the, uh, the senior warden at the time, who is now the past provincial grandmaster of this lodge, um, he proposed me into this lodge, and uh, I was lucky enough to get an office immediately that year. We have 36 progressive offices, and each master takes the chair for two years. So it could theoretically be 72 years to get to the chair. So. We are, It'd be a long time. Well, we're hopeful that people do drop out, so uh, which, which they do inevitably, inevitably do. Uh, so we eventually um, you know, made progress through the ranks, and uh, 22 years was uh, the time when I finally got uh, into this position. So what was it at that time, uh, 22 years ago, that it caused you to enter masonry? Well, my father was a Freemason uh, in Liverpool. Um, he had a lot of very nice friends, and I remember as a young boy, sort of you know, knowing all these nice friends of my father's. So I used to say, you know, "Who are they? Where did they come from? What did they do?" And he said, "Well, he was a Freemason. He was a Freemason in a lodge in Liverpool." Uh, so I experienced things like being dragged along to the ladies' nights for, with my mum, so, <laughs> um, and saying, "Well, yeah, we are quite nice friends." And Many years later, I mean, I stayed friendly with a couple of these uh, old guys, and you sadly lost them in their 80s, but they were true friends who you would sort of trust 100%, you know, absolute gentlemen. Um, sadly, I lost my father um, some 13 years ago now. And, but he, he got to see you raised, at least, sounds like. What my father saw uh, was, well, he was friendly with my proposer, David Bloomfield, so um, that's how um, I eventually ended up sort of being proposed into this lodge, because my father said, well, you know, well, my friends were nice people. He said, why don't you join Freemasonry? And then I suddenly realized where I was actually living, so I'd moved 250 miles from where I was born, and I was living and working in Scotland, and I happened to be working in Kilwinning. So... I remember when I was a boy reading all these sort of books that my father had, uh, yearbooks relating to Freemasonry, and there were all these lodges with the word Kilwinning after them. I didn't really understand what that meant. But obviously, Lodge Kilwinning, as I discovered, had chartered 44 different lodges uh, when it was a grand lodge in its own right. So I had the opportunity of joining this very prestigious lodge, Lodge uh, Mother Colwinning, numbering nothing on the role of the Grand Lodge of Scotland, <laughs> not that. to be confused with anything that mentions the word zero. <laughs> <laughs> we do not have a, a number. We are a lodge without a number. Numbering nothing. So you hit on one of the other questions I usually ask is why did you 
why did you join? You had some family connection. You met some good people. What is it that keeps you, 22 years is a long time, especially to stay in line as an officer. What is it that keeps you coming every week or every month or every meeting? Uh, friendship, um, that you want to be part of something and make a contribution towards something. Um, we are, we do very much uh, charitable work uh, as a lodge, and it's nice to be part of that. Uh, share with people who, who perhaps need your services, need a, a nice kind word, you know, need a wee visitation now and again. It's nice to be part of that to support some of the other lodges in Scotland that perhaps aren't as fortunate as you know, the membership that we have. So if you do visitations, you can uh, help swell their numbers. Tell, tell me a little, if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about, just briefly, because I want to talk about you, but I just want people to know a little bit of the history about this lodge. Well, um, in the history of the Mother Lodge, you'll find that the first regularly constituted lodge of Freemasons was held in Kilwinning in the year 1140 at the time of the building of Kilwinning Abbey, which the ruins of which you can still see to the rear of the lodge premises. Now, we have no records prior to the year 1600, and two reasons is given for this. Firstly, the thought of being lost in the disastrous fire at nearby Eglinton Castle, the home of the Montgomery family, who've always been closely associate, associated with the Mother Lodge, or the thought of being lost when the abbey was destroyed and the monks had to flee to France at the time of the Reformation. We have a minute from 1600, but from 1642 to the present day, we have a minute of every single meeting that has taken place within the Mother Lodge of Scotland. Wow, that's impressive. Now, over in Grand Lodge in Edinburgh, there's what is known as the Old Shore Statutes of 1598 and 1599, and Shore was uh, tasked to formalize Freemasonry, taking it from operative Masons to free and accepted speculative or gentleman Masons. So he mentioned Lodge Mother Culwinning as being the head lodge in Scotland in 1598. So that's why we can claim this position as being the premier lodge in Scotland, the premier lodge in the world. So that's, uh, that's a little bit about the history. Now, um, sometime later, it was decided to number lodges according to seniority. So Mother Culwinning did not like this. Uh, it withdrew from Grand Lodge at that point and started to issue charters and warrants that it had done so previously, as I mentioned earlier, chartering other lodges who still bear the name of Kilwinning. Now, Scotland being a small country, it wasn't desirous to have Grand Lodge in Edinburgh, which was formed in 1736, and the Grand Lodge of Kilwinning. So a meeting was held in Glasgow in, in the year 1807, where a new and binding agreement was reached whereby Lodge Mother Culwinning was finally accepted as being placed at the head of the role of the Grand Lodge of Scotland. Now, with the signing of this agreement, we received certain privileges, most important being that we installed our right worshipful master. He, by right of that office, became the provincial Grand Master of Ayrshire. Uh, so history tells us that for 176 years, this agreement honored by both signatories was an amicable and binding agreement. But the need for Masonic change was placed upon us once again, and in 1983, a new agreement was reached. With the signing of this agreement, we lost our right to have our right worshipful master uh, as provincial grand master of Ayrshire. Presiding over 44 other lodges was very, very difficult. So uh, we then decided to uh, form the provincial grand lodge of Ayrshire. So another. Provincial Grand Master would preside over that. 
with the signing of this agreement, it was agreed that Lodge Mother Kilwinning would form the Provincial Grand Lodge of Kilwinning, and we would nominate a suitable brother to be installed as Right Worshipful Provincial Grand Master. But also with the signing of this agreement, for all time coming, Mother Kilwinning would nominate a suitable brother to be installed as Grand Bible Bearer in the Grand Lodge of Scotland. So this agreement allowed Mother Kilwinning to be responsible only to the Provincial Grand Lodge of Kilwinning and through that body to the Grand Lodge of Scotland, thus retaining our autonomy and singular position within the Masonic world. Wow. So it's one lodge, one province, or one province with one lodge. So it's kind of a lot of pressure to be in that kind of position. You're in a unique position in all the lodges in the world, really. <clears throat> and having a, a line that goes for 22 years, how has that uh, changed you, or what did you learn in that time moving your way to the east? That's an interesting question. Um, I suppose you start young and naive, and as time goes along, you, you kind of mentally mature. It helps you, um, I suppose, with self-confidence, with um, perhaps giving people advice. makes you a calmer, better person. Um, makes you appreciate morals and values a little bit more than when you were a younger, perhaps wilder person. <laughs> Impatient. You, you, you mentally mature. Um, <laughs> And yes, um, as you saw tonight, a meeting whereby we had 157, I think, accounted in the room. It was huge. Um, and this wonderful number keeps coming up. We did, in fact, have 44 visiting lodges. <laughs> that was impressive. Uh, yes, um, which, which is absolutely magnificent to see, and it just creates a wonderful atmosphere. You've got people from all over the world, from all over Scotland, all different ranks. And uh, when they come through that door, we are all equal. I like that. What would you say, one of the things I, and one of the reasons I started doing these interviews was I wanted to be able to offer Masons the ability to hear the voice of those came before them, who came before them. Maybe it's 50 or 100 years from now. What would you say to either those Masons that are coming up in the ranks or even those who are curious about Masonry? I was just talking to our uh, latest candidate tonight who was raised to the third degree. And Nowadays, it's perhaps not as appealing as it once was. It, you know, people say it's full of old men and, and this, that, and the other. Um, my answer to that is, and I've said it at Open Lodge a few times, there's a charity in the UK called Silverline. And Silverline is a charity for older people who are lonely. And um, in its first year, I think it received 22,000 calls from you know, pensioners, perhaps, people... And, and the biggest complaint was they were lonely. They had no one to speak to. They hadn't spoken to people for days. Oh. Now, I'm saying that as a young man joining Freemasonry, come along, dip in and out of it, but stay part of it. And your life will change as you uh, progress. You'll have family. You might get married. You might move away from the district. But you're still part of this wonderful organization, a worldwide organization. But then as you go through life and you mature, you might have more time for Freemasonry. You get to the point where you retire. Some people may have lost their partners, maybe on their own. And if you've still got Freemasonry, you've got a place to go to nearly every night or someone to be at the end of a phone to have a wee chat with. And to me, that's the important thing. And I've said it to my own wife. She says, what do you see in this? I said, well, if I was to lose you, I have something that I can bond to. I have friends, I have people who will 
you pick me up when I'm low, I have places to go to, and I will not be a lonely old man. And I think that's the beauty of it. If you can see it as a lifetime uh, progression. Commitment. Commitment, then Are there any that's the important part. Stories or memories uh, or events that really stand out to you that really uh, uh, are your favorite memories of masonry? There's so many because we have 24 <coughs> meetings a year in the Mother Lodge. You know, everyone is different, different characters. Um, you know, we can have people from the Caribbean, people from India, people from Africa, people from Europe, people from the States. And some meetings are just absolutely incredible, the atmosphere you get in them. To try and pinpoint one is probably very, very difficult. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> it is. But uh, I was very privileged recently, uh, as I mentioned at the meeting there, that um, I was invited to attend a meeting at the Mansion House with um, Lodge Antiquity Number 2, uh, this was to celebrate the tercentenary of the Grand Lodge of England. And um, at that particular meeting, His Royal Highness the Duke of Kent, Grand Master Mason of England, was presented with a 50-year diploma. Um, and then they read the minutes of that meeting uh, of the bicentenary in 1917. And the only guest from Scotland on that was Lord Montgomery, who I mentioned earlier on, who was closely associated with the Mother Lodge. Uh, he was uh, a member of Grand Lodge in Scotland, but he was also the right worshipful master of this particular lodge at the time, which made him the provincial Grand Master of Ayrshire as well. So uh, it was very nice to see that the person we closely associate with this mother lodge um, set the scene in 1917, and 100 years later, I was invited down to that lodge for the tercentenary meeting where I met up with the um, most worshipful Grand Master Mason of Scotland, uh, Brother Charles uh, Woolridge Gordon of Esselmont, who were the two representatives from the Scottish Lodges. I think that's one of the one of the reasons I joined in. One of the things I think masonry has that's very <coughs> unique is that connection to our past, where we really recognize and and look back at what came before us and build on that. Yes, I mean we don't want to lose history. Right. We want to keep it at the forefront and uh, preserve it for the next generation to dip in and out of and take what they want from it. Any closing thoughts or anything else you'd like to say? Um, I, I would just like to see Freemasonry in certain parts, perhaps um, um, not modernized, that's probably the wrong word, but adapted to suit um, the younger generation. I think uh, perhaps needs to be a little bit more punchy. And uh, a couple of lodges in England, there's a documentary on um, Sky TV for the Grand Lodge of England, and they created a football lodge, I think it was, to try and appeal to sort of the younger younger members, and it seems to be quite successful. I've, I've seen that there's a, a focus on university lodges uh, in Europe. University lodges, yeah, they're very much uh, um, at the forefront in the UK as well. Um, and these sort of things, yes, tr try and adapt them to, to encourage people to join and people to stay, because it's a wonderful organization. It does fantastic charity work, but the sad thing is, it doesn't get the recognition it deserves. And I suppose that's my closing thought. People have the wrong impression of it, and it really is a wonderful organization. Hopefully interviews like this can change that, right, Worshipful? Well, thank you very much. Uh, for thank you very much indeed. Okay, take care.